Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. that's better. Great. Greetings from sunny Coleraine, Northern Ireland. And apologies if you're expecting a, a rich Northern Irish accent. Um, I obviously don't have one. But uh, I, have to, I, I have to say that because uh, when God brought me to Northern Ireland to Coleraine, actually, um, you know, have you ever prayed this kind of prayer? Father, thank you for doing it in a certain place, but don't send me there to live. <laughs> well, that's a prayer that I prayed uh, after there were some prophetic words um, about me going to move to Northern Ireland. And when I did move to Coleraine, I thought it was the coldest town that um, I'd ever lived in. And I thought they'd misspelled the name, I thought they should have spelled it Coleraine. <laughs> Uh, the rain it sort of comes in horizontally. I don't know if you've ever seen horizontal rain. Okay, I, I would have to have like three layers of uh, three la five layers of clothing, you know, three layers of thermals, waterproof jacket, trousers. Obviously, needed a hat, something around my neck, covering my ears as well, an umbrella, and I would still get wet. I think I was the only one on the team complaining until I heard about these crazy people in Helsinki and Finland who were doing heating on the streets in minus 27 degrees. And I stopped complaining. Um, the miracle wasn't that um, they were doing heating on the streets in that temperature, but the fact that people were coming to the chairs and sitting down in that kind of temperature, you know, uh, is a miracle. But so and I, I, I kept thinking, well, I think I'm cursing my town because I'm only the one so cold. So it is, you know, sunny cold rain. Greetings. <laughs> Uh, with sunshine, it's the best place in the universe to be. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, you know, it's just such a privilege to be here. Thank you for coming. Uh, thank you, Steve, for inviting me. Um, you know, you've been doing hots. That's short for here on the streets, by the way, um, for a while now. And I just, you know, I've been watching you from afar and knowing, you know, your, your heart and passion. And it's, it's not surprising what God is doing with you and through you will continue to do. And uh, it's just amazing what the Lord is doing around the world of healing streets. The story of which I would love to tell you the whole background, but I don't. But I have, this is a shameless plug, my book, uh, called Stepping Into the Impossible, which is a story of healing streets. There's only a few out there, so um, grab the one you can. And it gives you a bit of the background and a lot of insight that God has given to me. Um, but just a snippet that we. Um, here on the streets has been running for about 10 years now. God has uh, just downloaded this very simple model in helping the church step out of the building and into the streets where his heart beats. Now, can I, can I just ask, how many of you is this, this teaching new for you for the first time? Hands up. Well, that's great. There's a whole number of you that, that really don't know much about here on the streets so you haven't had this teaching. So that's, that's great. And for those of you that have, I mean, I... I know people have heard this teaching about five, seven times, five to seven times, and they still receive something, some, some deeper understanding uh, from it, which is helping them just to be free on the streets or wherever they go. And if, you, if you're here tonight and you're wondering what I, I don't know what on earth I'm doing here, I don't know, how did I get here, you know, how, how did my friend bring me here, I don't know what on earth I'm doing here, you know, I, I have a clue about how to pray for the sick. And for something on the streets and that, how do I mean engaging in conversation? You know, when I whenever I try praying, I mean I don't see anyone get healed when I pray for them. And and in fact when I pray for them they seem to get worse and think better. And the person next to me is such more anointed than I am. Well if that's you, you're the very person that God wants to work with and through and um, and the only requirements for this this ministry is that one you follow Jesus. Okay, that's very important. You're following Jesus. And secondly, that you have a beating pulse. Now, can you just check that you have a beating pulse? <laughs> Does anyone here not have a beating pulse? You can see the, the people in the, the medical profession here in the English. <laughs> okay, so if you have, a, you have a beating pulse, you follow Jesus. Is there any requirements that you need? Once asked that question, and an elderly man from the back, when I said, does anyone doesn't, doesn't have a beating pulse? He put his hand up. <laughs> he actually needs healing for his ears. 
But uh, we, we don't have to practice raising the dead tonight, so that's good. Um, you know, God loves you with all his heart. And he embraces you close to his side. Your sons and your daughters, you're so precious to your heavenly dad. Do you know that? If only he could just, just give you a glimpse of how much he loves you, you just melt away and you just feel absolute place of assurance, of safety. Um, just being in the love of God is, is and knowing his love and being free from shame and guilt and just living in the freedom of his love is the most amazing thing. But you know, as he embraces you, you are truly his beloved. He loves you with all his heart. He holds you tight. And his eyes are gazing outside of the building and onto the brokenness uh, of the streets. And so people who are far away from him. And that's where his heart beats. God's heart beats on the streets and there's broken places. And when we connect with the heartbeat of God, we come alive. And I love to see the church come alive. It's the most amazing thing when we step out of the safety of the building and we begin to connect with people who are far away from Him. And what that does is incredible. It is, it's amazing. You see, people who never thought that they could ever, you know, not even sure if, if healings for today, not even sure if God heals, not even sure if, if God could work through them, pinching themselves and, not, and actually asking the person they've just prayed for, are you sure? Are you sure you're healed? Just check again. <coughs> yes, I was blind and now I can see. Are you sure? How many fingers am I holding up? Fine. Are you sure? I can hardly believe it that God will work through them. How do I get to know Jesus? Are you sure? You, are you sure you want to know Jesus? Yes, but how? They're shocked that God actually worked through them and they'd have the privilege of, you know, working alongside the Lord and seeing the broken and those who are hurting healed and those who are far away from come come to know Jesus. Um, I'm going to tell you this story right from the beginning because it's a great one, it's an old one, but it's one I love to tell. Alright, so here in the streets, for those of you that don't know what it looks like, we put out, we, we put out chairs and we stretch the chairs out so that a team who are kneeling and we pray, we kneel to pray, that who kneels around uh, someone who sits on the chair um, won't interfere with the next chair. So we space it out far enough so that one team won't interfere with the next team. And we put out, it depends on how, how many chairs we put out. I've seen as little as two chairs. I've seen as many as 20. Mm. And it also depends on the faith of the, the, the churches who are involved. When, when I went to Canterbury and Lord Chino on the streets there, I asked Simon, who was heading up here on the streets, I said, Simon, how many chairs are you putting out? After seeing the site that we were going, he said, six chairs. Said, Simon, it's not enough. With the size of the team and the space you've got there, it's not enough. I said, well, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll bring eight out. I said, it's not enough, Simon. So said, no, 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 well, I'll go get some more if it's not enough. We put eight chairs out. Instantly, we knelt on the ground and we, the presence of God came. The chairs were instantly filled with people. So he was shocked. He went and got another two chairs. Ten chairs were there. They were filled. Ten chairs were filled. He's shocked. He goes and gets some more chairs. Wow. The manager of the furniture shop opposite, <laughs> is, is looking through the window. He's never seen this before in his life. He is amazed to see members of the public sitting on his chairs and a queue of people. And he sees the presence of God. He sees God. He's watching closely. He sees people weeping in the chairs, people getting healed. And he's so moved, he gets a chair from his furniture shop and he adds it to the end. <laughs> It instantly gets filled. He goes back into the shop and gets another chair. And he keeps adding chairs. And so there's like this stuff, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, so it depends, you know, from, from two to however many. It depends on the size of your team and the space you've got. And, and we have a banner that says healing, which is like, it's a metre wide by 5.3 metres high. It's, it's pretty big, pretty tall. 
and it just says healing from top to bottom. Now you need to be pretty blind not to see that. And anyone who can't see it, invite them to come and take a seat with my prop. Excuse me, I need a prop. There's my prop for tonight. I invite them to come and sit in the chair where we'll pray for it to be healed. And you can pray for anything. It doesn't have to be healed. It can be absolutely anything. And, then, and, and we know there's between two or four people that come to kneel around the person who sits in the chair. And we have men praying for men, women for women. Well, this couple had come from a place called Cabin um, in, the, in the south. And it's about 110 miles away from Colrain. And we're about six minute drive away from beautiful, beautiful coast. You've seen them. You'd agree it's beautiful. It is. We're a beautiful coastline, Causeway Coast. You must come and visit sometime. See the Giants Causeway. Just a beautiful, beautiful area of Northern Ireland. And um, so this couple were on their holiday. Um, and it's really like holiday resort along the coast. And they were there for two weeks. At the end of their holiday, they came into town to do shopping. Now, we have been outside Coleraine Town Hall for the last 10 years. We launched here on the streets in Easter 2005. And we've been outside the town hall every Saturday without fail. Regardless of the weather, we have knelt in the snow and the ice, in the rain, and it was almost up to our necks. Oh, well, that's a bit of an exaggeration. It felt like that sometimes. Um, and in those rare occasions in, on a sunny day. And, um, you know, in the early days, we didn't have kneeling pads. We didn't even think about kneeling pads. Our knees would freeze to the ground. It was so cold at times. And we've been there 10 years. And it's amazing, people come, regardless of the weather, if it's raining, we have umbrellas, we, we have these hardwood garden chairs, and we dry the seats off before they sit on we cover them with umbrellas. And it's a very gentle ministry, and we, we are you know, creating stepping stones for people who are far away from Jesus, and we gently lead them towards Jesus. And, and we're there for the long term, so it takes time. We are, we are creating an atmosphere. Uh, we're, we're bringing the, the atmosphere of heaven to earth. We're releasing the kingdom where people, you know, we're changing the status quo as carriers of divine presence. We're releasing his presence. It's not just about getting people to sit on the chairs and then seeing a few people healed and a few people come to know Jesus, which is always wonderful. So it's about, it's about influencing and affecting the whole city. Now we live in a town, but we call it a city because we're already prophesying that it will be a city. One day you will, you will see that Coleraine is a city. And we want to change the entire you know, atmosphere and, um, so people can encounter God. And so this couple came um, into town the last day of their holiday and they were going to do some shopping before they went home. They saw our banner that said healing and they thought, we've got nothing to lose, let's get some prayer. So the husband brought his wife who was paralyzed in a wheelchair. And, and parked their wheelchair in between two chairs. <coughs> the team gathered around the, the woman who was paralyzed, knelt <coughs> by her feet. And when we kneel, you know, it's like washing the feet of our community. That's what it looks like. It's such a gentle ministry. We don't, you know, we're gentle in the way we approach people, we're gentle in the way we speak to them, we're gentle in the way that we minister to them, we don't argue. Um, one very wise man said this, if you have a crooked stick, you know what a crooked stick is. Yeah. And somebody wants to argue with you that the stick is a crooked. You know you get some people like that, there's this crooked stick in front of you and they say, no that stick is not crooked. Well, don't argue that the stick is crooked, put the crooked stick on the ground and put a straight stick next to it. So what he meant by that is don't, don't argue, demonstrate, demonstrate the love. It's full of God's presence, it's full of um, love and compassion, it's gentle, and there's a peace of God that just fills the place. Well, they just told this woman how much God loved her. One of the things we do before we even pray is we tell them, we speak to them, we speak to their hearts, 
we're told how much God loves them. Then we invite the presence of God. The presence of God is already there, but we pray for the increase of God's presence. And then we take authority. And as they, they take, took authority over paralysis, they then asked them to try and do something with their legs. We, don't, we do not drag people out of wheelchairs. Don't ever do that, please. Okay. Just ask them to begin to try and move something that they couldn't move before. She tried her best. Nothing was moving. So after, after a while, um, they began to reaffirm God's love to her and then told her how he becomes. And we're gonna, we'll learn um, tomorrow how he becomes. I'm going to teach that tomorrow. That it can be either instant, gradual, or there may be no sign of healing. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and it doesn't mean you're not going to be healed. You could be healed as you go. Instantly, it could be gradual, it could happen, you know, you wake up the next day. So we affirm God's love to her, we then told her how healing comes, we left her in a place of faith, and said, now, if, if there's any change, or no change, even if there's no change, would you please let us know? We'd love to continue to pray for you. We'd love to just press it and believe for you, that God would, would heal you completely. She thanked us, her husband thanked us, they had experienced God's love, they had felt God's presence, and they went the way. They were driving home. It's 110 miles away, they were about halfway home. When the wife suddenly said to the husband, Stop the car, something's happening. So he pulls over to the side of the road, it's pouring with rain. And she gets out of the car, she begins to run around the car, and then up and down the street, completely healed. Their best friends travel 110 miles to tell us what has happened, but also to ask us if we could pray for them because they were unable to have children. And while I'm saying that, I, I just have the sense that there's someone here who is unable to have children. Uh, just a thought. And I would love to pray for you afterwards. We have such a high track record of Childless couples, barren couples, conceiving after we prayed for them, that we were contemplating putting a little brass plaque behind our hardened garden chairs that said, Warning, you're in danger of becoming pregnant. <laughs> because children are blessed from God. I mean, I, I, can, I can tell you so many stories of barren couples. And I mean, I'm shocked sometimes if things happen. My wife and I were coming back from somewhere, I can't remember where. Uh, we got on a plane. And um, the air stewardess, when she looked at my um, ticket as I got on board, was just so extremely nice to me. I didn't think you know, more than usual. I thought, that's a bit odd. We sat down and then the plane took off and then the, air, the, the pilot began to welcome everyone on board, began to give like all the you know, information on height and flight and how long we'll be flying and everything else, weather conditions, etc., etc. And then, and then he said, and I would like to give a very, uh, a very special welcome to two uh, very special people on, on this flight. And uh, personally, I would like to to welcome Mark and Linda Marks. And I looked at Linda. Thought, what is you said? You said something. What is this? You know. She looked at me and said, You said something. And then the air stewardess came over and said, oh, the, um, you know, would you like to have anything to drink or anything to eat? It's all painful. You can have anything you like. I said, really? Said, yeah. So this is really unusual. And then we, we came into the land and then the air stewardess came up to us and said, um, the, the pilot has requested that you please stay behind because he'd like to personally um, say goodbye. As you leave, I said, really? <laughs> so, um, so we, we waited, we were the last on the plane, and, we, and as we left, the pilot gave us such an you know, amazing send off. And he said, Three years ago, you know, you prayed for my wife, and uh, she was unable to conceive. And because of your prayers, we now have a three year old daughter. So, you know, I mean, God surprises. Anyway, so the story, the 
sort of, I'm going back to sort of the late November, so then we met this couple, and then we thought, well, why did you heal this woman on the way to Kevin? And then we're looking for any excuse to follow the Holy Spirit, because he's really exciting when you follow him. So any excuse, Lord, if you, why did you heal this woman on the way to Kevin? We're going to Kevin. So we have two sets of equipment, and uh, we've got another team together. And at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, we headed off, we set off for Cabin, which is 110 miles away. We all, so we left at 7 in the morning, we, all, we arrived there, and we set up uh, our banner, we set up the chairs, we knelt on the ground to pray, we led into God's presence, and we began to thank God and, and just ask for more of His presence. And as and we, we got off, got off the ground and about 20 minutes later people started, one or two people started to come to the chairs and we began to pray. But then this woman brought, a mother brought her eight-year-old son and um, who had been in, in and out of hospital, countless operations on his legs, he couldn't walk properly and he still was unable to walk properly. So the eight-year-old boy sat in the chair the team knelt by his feet, prayed their best prayer, and said, let's see what you can do. He got up, he hopped off the chair, and he began to walk perfectly in a straight line up and down the street. Now his mother, her eyes were nearly falling out of her head, as she was staring in almost unbelief that her son was now healed. Got onto her mobile phone, and, and began to call whoever, I don't know. There's another 20, 25 minutes went by and suddenly carloads of people start to pull up, park outside. And they start coming out. Uh, and, and these people were like, had serious lung conditions, all kinds of things wrong with them. And as they sat in the chair, God was meeting them and they were getting healed. It was awesome. It was just the most amazing, amazing moment to see the Lord healing in that way. And then some of the women who had come to this group were pleading with us to allow two of our team members, two of the women on our team, to go with them back to two houses that were full of sick people who were able to come. And we were looking at our, you know, we, we were so busy now that we were reluctant to let them go, but they pleaded with us. And in the end, we said, okay, um, but please bring them back. <laughs> So away they went. So Maxine and Caroline went with these two women to these two houses. They went into one house full of sick people. So they brought a chair, they put it in the middle of the living room. They invited people to come and take a seat. And one by one, God met them and the people getting healed. And it was the most amazing time. They went to the next house, again full of sick people. They put the chair again in the middle of the living room. Healing on the street style, they invited people to come and they said, Okay, God is meeting with them, God is healing them. And they saw a young man who had a hunchback standing in the corner. And he was bent over with a very prominent punch in his back. And he obviously he wasn't coming because he must have really thought, Well, you know, what I have is impossible and it's so visible. It's okay for everyone else who you know, you can't see what's wrong with them, but with me, so, and he must be really was thinking, God can't do anything for me. But they began to coax him out of the corner of God's love. They began to tell him how much God loved him, that God wants to touch him as well. And in the healing streets, we never make any promises or guarantees, apart from we'll pray our best prayer, and that God loves you. What can you get? God loves you with all his love. He wants you to be healed. We can't guarantee you, you're going to be here right now, but we you know, pray our best prayer for you. And it can happen instantly, gradually, it may happen later, even though there's no sign of anything happening. <coughs> so they coax this young man out of the corner, and as he begins to come out of the corner and walk him towards the chair slowly, his back began to straighten up. Right. And by the time he got to the chair, his back was straight. Wow. Straight. wow. He didn't even have to sit on the chair. How wonderful is the Lord? Just love Jesus when he does things like that. But you know, the most, for me, the, the story that really keeps 
speaking to my heart is the mother of this household who didn't know Jesus got out of bed at 7 o'clock in the morning she doesn't know God she gets out of bed she kneels beside her bed at 7 in the morning she begins to cry out to a God she doesn't know God is it if you're there please help me please help my family God they're all sick and I don't know what to do, God. If you're there, if you're, if you're real, God, please send someone to help. And at 7 o'clock in the morning, we left Coleraine in answer to her prayers. I want to say that we, we are, you and I, we, we are, you know, the hands and feet of Jesus and the answer to the prayers of those who are outside praying to God they don't know, crying out. There are people going to bed tonight weeping. They don't know if there's a God or not. They don't know if anyone can understand or see. But I want to tell you that, you know, when the church steps out of the building, we're going to meet and engage with people like that. You know, we are, we are hope bringers. Yeah. We are hope bringers. What people want to know is about God's love, that He's real. They don't want religion. They want to know about a real Jesus who wants to be their best friend and can make a difference in their life. And you know, when Jesus, when Jesus ministered publicly, when he walks throughout Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, and he just released the kingdom wherever he went, he released the love of the Father. And compassion always moved his heart. And the crowds grew so vast when, you know, when they saw the miracles they did, when they saw them healing the sick, the Bible says they praised the God of Israel. They followed him, they put their faith in him, they believed in him. The crowds grew so vast that, you know, he looks at this huge crowd and, he's, and Jesus is really reveals the limitations of a one-man ministry. Because God is not looking for superstars or celebrity figures, but he's looking for his body, he's looking for, for you, for I, for, for us. To do the things that he does. And he looked at his vast crowd, compassion fills his heart, said they're harassed and hopeless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, ask the Lord of the harvest mm. to send laborers out into the harvest field. Mm. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But then he called his twelve disciples and he sent them out. And what did he do? He gave them his authority. He said, now go heal the sick and tell people that the kingdom of God is near. He gave them authority over every sickness, every disease, over every demonic force. He said, now go heal the sick. Simple. But Jesus didn't stop there. Because he begins to reveal his master plan. And he then calls 72 others. He gives them the very same authority. And he sends them out. He says, go heal the sick. Go tell them that the kingdom of God is near or close at hand. And he sent them out like lambs amongst wolves, that's what the Bible says in Luke 10. Can you imagine what they're also thinking? Did I, did I hear what the Lord just said? <laughs> wolves eat lambs for breakfast. And they went out with fear and trepidation. And I've got to tell you, if you, you know, how many introverts are there here? Hands up. Oh, you're in good company. Do you know I'm an introvert? I think God has a sense of humour that he would choose a shy introvert to be an evangelist. I have to die every day to stand up here, to step out in the streets, to talk to anyone. I have to die daily in order to do that. If God can work through me, he can work through anyone. And they went out with fear and trepidation. But they were courageous. And we have to be courageous. Despite our 
feeling of inadequacy. We, we're just courageous in God. And they stepped out. And when they returned, they were full of joy. It wasn't to do with any model or method that they were using, but the fact that they had been given authority and that authority worked. You know, when we first did Eden on the Streets, um, and I saw the team that, that we had taught, and there was greens anything, some of them didn't even, <laughs> like Philip and Matt team, who head up Healing on the Streets in Coleraine now, didn't even know if healing was for today. They only came along because their daughter wanted to come, and she needed a lift, and they thought, well, we'll give you a lift, and make it sort of useful in a small group setting. They were bowled over, and then when, you know, um, after two Sunday evenings, I announced that next Saturday we're going out to the streets to put this into practice. They were shocked. They knew it was called Healing the Streets, but they didn't actually think we were going to do it. <laughs> they were bowled over. When leaders started to come and, and began to hear what was happening in Coleraine, they would ask, they would ask Philip, so Philip, you know, you were there at the very beginning, so, you know, weren't you afraid that no one was going to come to the chairs? And Philip, no, no, no. I was afraid people were going to come to the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> they were amazed to see, and, you know, they, and after they began to see people healed, and I've got to tell you, four weeks in, after being on the streets, we were on the front cover of the Chronicle. With the headlines, there was a picture of me holding a walking stick. I'm going to tell you how I resisted being on the front cover. I don't want to be on the front cover of anything. I don't like that the Lord does this, pushes me in front of things. I, I don't like it, you know, but I just have to be obedient. And there was me holding a walking stick of, a, of a, an elderly man called Daniel who would be healed uh, of a bad hip and leg. And he gave me his walking stick. As a, as a souvenir, he stood there and told people within earshot, passers-by, that God had healed him. It was the best evangelist that day for <laughs> So everyone that was walking by that God had healed him, they had to come and sit and take a seat. And the front cover, the headlines were miracles in our streets. And the pages was full of stories of people encountering God, of life change, of, you know, healing, miracles salvation. And the following Saturday, when we right. set up, there was a crowd waiting for us, right. looking at their watches, saying, where are these Christians? <laughs> and then when we opened up a heart with God the chairs, they began to fight over the chairs. They began to fight over the chairs. They said, please, we have time to pray for everyone. We'll, right. we'll take our time, don't worry, we have plenty of time. Right. It's amazing. Right. And, and, and our team would, would we have to never say that we won't go until the last chair is put away. Now, when we said that, it was a bit of a problem because, you know, we finish at, say, one o'clock. Right, so it's one o'clock, now we start packing away. We start packing away. There's, <coughs> there's one person sitting on the chair being prayed for. All the chairs are now gone, except for that one chair. The whole team are waiting there. We're not going until that one person's finished. The chair's gone. And then someone else comes. Am I too late for prayer? Oh, no, you're not. Pull the chair out, open it up. <laughs> and then some more people come. Next thing you know, all the chairs are back out again. <laughs> We're there for another few hours. <laughs> so, but, but when it was all over, and the last chair you packed away, they'd stand there and they would share their stories with, it, with one another about what God had done through them. What they witnessed, what they see, they were so excited. It's the most life-transforming thing ever. To actually to see God at work, but to know, wow, God, you really work through me and you allow me to work with you. And it's, it's life-transforming. And now they, they, you know, that team, we started in East 2005. We don't have a rotor. Do you know what rotors are? Have you heard of a rotor? You know what rotors are? You nod them. But we haven't had a rotor for 10 years. All I asked was, guys, next Saturday we're going to be on the streets. 
All I need to know is that some, I'm not going to be the only one standing on the street. Can anyone say they're going to be there to hand it up? So thanks, all I need to know. And when God revealed his love to the team, I said to them, I don't know why, I don't know why you're here, what your motives are for being here at this training. Could be because, you know, um, you just love to see God heal someone. You love to see God touch someone's life, transform a life. And maybe you, wanna, you want God to work through you. You, want to be, you, you love for God to work through you. Or maybe you're a total skeptic. That's okay as well. And you don't know whether God heals or not. Well, you're in the right place to find out. I have, I have skeptics, people who, who profess to believe in God, but are so skeptical. And all I say to them is, come join us for the streets and you'll find out. I said, that's okay, but if you're skeptical, that's fine. Or it may be that you are so uh, filled with the love of God that his love compels you and you're propelled out into the streets. You have to be on the streets. You have to tell people about God's love. Now, then whatever your motive is, this is what I believe will happen. One, one day, as you kneel by the feet of someone, praying for the person who sits in this chair, that your Heavenly Father is going to show you the glimpse of his heart, how he feels about this one, whom his son died for. And when he does that, your life will be forever ruined. <laughs> that was my prayer. One day, we had six chairs up, and six members of the public sitting in those chairs, all weeping. Right? Imagine that, they're all weeping. And I looked closely, and I saw all the team kneeling around those six, all weeping. And that moment, I said, thank you, Lord. You've just ruined my team. <laughs> and from that moment, we've not had a rotor. In those early days when I was leading it, um, someone would come to me and say, Mark, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't be out, I can't come to the streets this Saturday. I can't do healing on the streets this Saturday. I said, why not? He said, I've got, to, I've got to go to the wedding. I said, brilliant. Have an amazing time. Really enjoy it. Celebrate it. And then I know, but I, I need to be here. <laughs> no, you've got to go. <laughs> yes, but there are people who need me to be, isn't it? There you go. How wonderful is that? When God so catches your heart. Ten, ten years. So, tomorrow, if you'd ask me, Mark, who's going to be on the streets in Colerain tomorrow? I couldn't give you an answer, but I know this, that there will be a team there. But God, God has so captured their hearts. When, God, when you allow God to capture your heart, you know, it's the fire, it's the love of God. And he opens your eyes to see people who so need to, to hear about Jesus. But that's the way where it's life-giving. It is life-giving. So good. The disciples returned to Jesus. They're so excited. They've seen, they've seen people healed. But they are bold over and amazed at the authority that they have. Tell the Lord, and Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus is full of joy, because every time we take hold of all the things that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has made available to us, every time we, we grasp it, we have revelation, we take hold of it, it brings joy to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. I've given you authority to trample the snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the evil one. Nothing at all shall harm you. But don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you in my name, but that your names are written in heaven. And Jesus said, You've got authority, you've got it now. That's right. I've given you authority. Jesus didn't stop at 12 or the 72. He then gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28. All authority. And heaven and earth begin to be therefore go, right? Disciples of all nations. And he goes on to say, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And what did Jesus command his disciples to do? To heal the sick, raise the dead. So when someone is walking by the chairs, and should they just happen to drop dead in front of you, I hope that doesn't happen, but let's just say it happens. What are you going to do? 
people you've done first aid, the first aid training? Okay, good. Well, you <laughs> go, go into action, do your first aid training, all right? This is just wisdom. There'll be some of you also on the phones to the emergency services and giving you know, the information of what's just happened. But the rest of us, what are we going to say to that corpse? Yeah, great one. Well, that's a good one. It's a good start. Get up. Because we have, we have authority even to speak to the dead to be raised. Okay. I wish I had time to tell you stories of the dead being raised. Oh, I would love to tell you that. Incredible stories. Amazing stories. God, the Lord showed me that I would see the dead being raised. I've met people raised from the dead. I've met people. I, 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 I've heard testimonies. I've known people who have gone to the place where they're raised to confirm it. People have been, you know, bodies decaying like over two days in hot weather. <coughs> I've been, I'm sorry. Um, nothing is impossible for God. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. I will tell you, tell you stories that will blow your mind. If, if your mind, if you don't have the mindset for the miraculous, and God is wanting to have a mindset for the miraculous. Wow. So that's, that's, why, that's why I'm telling stories. The model I can teach in five minutes. But the mindset God needs to uh, to give you revelation. And as I'm speaking, God is beginning to, to impart something into your innermost being. Like spirit speaks to spirit, spirit, deep calls to deep. So God wants to give you revelation, wants to give you depth of insight, breadth of understanding, wants to open your ears to hear what his what the spirit is saying, eyes to see. You know, when Jesus sent the 72 out, he said, he sent, he sent them out to every town and place he was about to visit. That excites me for healing on the streets. When the church takes hold of what Jesus has said, and we step out into the streets and into those broken places, when we do that in obedience, we begin to release the kingdom. Jesus is it says, he sent them out to every place he was about to visit. Last year, one of the things I'm going to be teaching, as well as, as um, the, the Healing the Streets model, is I'm going to teach you the miracle question which God gave to us last year. Now, this is, I'm going to tell you a figure, and it's, it's going to throw up a lot of questions, I don't have time to answer those questions. <laughs> But since February the 18th of last year, no, February the, February the 18th of last year, we've seen over 4,300 people come to faith. Wow. We've seen 60% of those have come to faith in the streets. Wow. We've seen whole schools come to faith. Yeah. I wish I could tell you. If you were to ask me what's happening in Coleraine, I would just say Jesus is visiting. <laughs> but I'm excited. I'm excited that when we step out to the streets and we're doing what the Lord asks, very simple, I don't know why we've missed it all these years, He comes to visit. So I'm going to teach you the miracle question uh, tomorrow, okay? But the mindset's really important now. I better keep an eye on the time. How long have I got? Oh, wait, we didn't talk about this. Um, What's happening? We've got to be out at 10. We're about our ten. Yeah. Oh, great! I said, what I what I will do is say um, in about fifteen minutes we'll have a we'll have a comfort break. How's that? Is that okay? So just just those of you need that. <clears throat> right. Are you doing okay? You've got manuals, but you, you're going to find them really difficult to follow me. I, I, even I can't follow myself. <laughs> uh, but it's worth reading and going over it, you know, when you get home. And you, it will help give you some, some more, you know, uh, bring to your mind some things that I've said. And um, it will help. And it's good to go over those things. If you've gone over, just keep going over it. 
to all help you. But I'm just, I'm going to just talk to you about some of the distinguishing marks of this ministry. And then um, we're, we're going to talk about understanding kingdom authority and power. We're going to do some things that, that may really stretch your mind and your thinking. Okay? So just bear with me and be gracious to me. So Healing the Streets is a really gentle ministry and we're, we're creating an environment where people can encounter God. <coughs> we, we're we're <coughs> the divine presence and we're called to change the status quo. Whatever the lie of the enemy is over our town, our city, whatever the lie of the devil is over Balaam, for example. And you know, so, there's a certain place you go, certain areas you go and they and it sort of gains a reputation. You know, gains a reputation. We are there to break the line of the enemy, to change it completely, to transform it by bringing his presence and his kingdom into the area so that people can taste and see that God is good. They can encounter um, Jesus. They can experience the kingdom. So, so some of the distinction marks are the presence of the Holy Spirit, peace, gentleness, love, compassion. And I just want to talk to you about the presence of the Holy Spirit because it is so important that we learn who, who we are, what it is we carry, and what a difference we can make. You know, a witch said to one of our team uh, many, many years ago, um, you Christians are ignorant about what it is that you've been given, that God has given to you. And she went on to say, we witches spend months trapping a demon into a tree. And one of you ignorant Christians walks by and all our work is undone. I thought, praise God. <laughs> now, if we do that in ignorance, what's going to happen when we, do, when we begin to walk with understanding of who we are, what it is we carry? Now, if you know why a witch should trap a demon into a tree, please don't come and tell me. <laughs> I have no interest in that kind of knowledge. That's what I'm going to do. That's, that's up to them. But when you understand who, who you are, then everything you do, and this is important as well for the miracle question because, you know, people have asked me what the miracle question is. There are three very simple questions. And it's a model. I don't actually, to be honest, I don't actually believe in models. Okay, I'm just going to contradict myself here. Because um, what I see Jesus doing, what, or if you like, what he's modeling to his disciples, was total liberation and the intimacy with the Father. So, remember, Jesus has laid aside his majesty. He wasn't, he wasn't working out of his divinity, do you understand that? Out of, out of the humanity. He was fully God and fully man, but he chose to work out of his humanity, that relationship with the Father. So he had to get everything from the Father. So he's laid his majesty down, and the Bible says he often withdrew to lonely places to pray, well, in those days, it was, a, it was a mountaintop because, you know, the only quiet place you could get away from the crowds was a mountaintop. That doesn't mean you have to go to the mountaintop. But he spent his time, you know, in, in just fully immersed in the presence of the Father. You could just see <coughs> such a busy, busy, busy ministry time. So he's been, you know, his time's been demanded. Wherever he went, people were searching for him, people were looking for him. He couldn't hide his presence. Sometimes he wanted to, you know, just... Do you know, he said that the Bible says that he couldn't hide his presence. He would go to, secretly go to a house and people would discover he was there. Do you know, I, I, I understand how it feels like sometimes. You know, when I get on a plane, I fly so much from between now, I'm flying now every week until December. And I, I fly everywhere. And I, I, the last thing I want to do is pray for people, talk to people on an aeroplane. I'm being honest. It's my, 
introverted nature. So what I do is I stick, I've got these headphones, I stick them in, and the music's sort of quite loud. Right? It's really bad, I know. But God seems to put me <laughs> either in the vicinity of people who just for some reason make it, make it very clear to me that they need help. Right, there's a, there's a story in here, there's a story in here, right, that I wrote about, I don't have time to share it, about one woman who got delivered on the plane. Um, you know, a fear of flying, you know, phobias, fear of flying. Um, I was just the other week flying to, um, where was it then? I was speaking at Rivercamp. And um, so I'm sitting second to last row from the back, okay, in the aisle seat. I got my earphones on and I'm playing really loud worship music. And I'm, this is great, you know. Like, there's nobody beside me, right? This is great. So I prefer a window seat to something other than this. Anyway, I'm in the aisle. And there's a man in the, the last row sitting directly behind me. The planes begins to descend, and there's some turbulence, and you know the planes thing like this. And for some reason, if you're sitting in the tail end, it seems to like whip a little bit more. And you can feel this thing building up. And suddenly, as and, then, and it was really turbulent, really turbulent. Most turbulent I've I felt for a long time. The man behind me began to scream and shout. I mean, he, he thought that the tail section was going to come off. I mean, break away from the plane. He has such a, such a powerful fear that the, 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 the steward, air steward and stewardess couldn't, couldn't help him. He shouted so loud that it did <laughs> You know, I could hear it from my, head, my earphones. And I thought, oh no, no, I looked around, everyone's looking in the state of shock, they don't know what to do. So um, I turned around in my seat and I said, uh, could I pray for you? And he couldn't speak, he just nodded. So I stuck my hand on his chest, I commanded the fear to go, and the peace of God came straight away. I, and everyone's looking at me in a state of shock. <laughs> Position. <laughs> you know, just see some, some peace and quiet. You know. <laughs> so that's what you've got to do. And it's, um, so Jesus came out of the presence of the Father and he was like ready. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was clothed with compassion and power. He was led by the Spirit. And wherever he went, and whenever the situation arose, he released what, what he had received from the Father. And when you be in the presence of the Father, you carry the presence of the Father. Um, and so when he, you know, he spoke to the poor in spirit and he preached good news, whether it was um, feeding the hungry, or whether it was healing the sick, it came up from a heart that was full of compassion. That comes from being in the Father's presence. Do you, want to have, do you want to have a heart for those outside? And get closer to the Father's heart. If you want to carry more of God's presence, then steep yourself close to his heart, because his presence will rub off all over you. Do you want to be filled with the power of God? Then don't seek power, but seek his face, seek his presence. Because power comes from his presence. You know, I don't seek God for power. I, I want his face, I want his presence. My soul, my flesh cry out for the living God. Where, where can I go to meet with him? Where can I meet with God? You know. And then and then he needs to be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds. We need to learn to nurture and carry his presence. We're told in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. 
Is it Ephesians 5 19 or is it Galatians? I'm not quite sure. But it says, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians, be filled, be filled with the Spirit. And it goes on to say, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. It's to, <coughs> to nurture His presence, to carry His presence wherever you go. And then He demonstrated total liberation. So wherever He went, healing, for example, was fluid and creative to happen at any time, any place, and in the way He was choosing. So when, when you understand your authority, when you carry his presence, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you know, and you know the Father's heart, you can minister his goodness wherever you go, and in the way of your choosing. But there are times and seasons, and I'll, I'll explain that tomorrow, but there's times and seasons where um, God will give a specific model for a, for a people, for a purpose, for a period of time. Um, the problem with models is that, is that um, when the model has run its course, it's fulfilled its purpose, people can begin to worship something. They begin to worship the model, not the Lord. I'll give you an example from Scripture. So, um, when you read in 2 Kings about the history of the kings, and you see there was, a, there was a certain period of time where one king after another um, didn't follow the ways of the Lord, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You know that the whole thing? And then you come to 2 Kings chapter 18 about King Hezekiah. Now, what? King Hezekiah did was he he broke the cycle of disobedience and began to do the right thing. And um, do, you, do you remember when the Israelites had sinned against God and Moses? And what happened was poisonous snakes came into the encampment. And the Bible says that many people were dying from the poisonous snake bites. So what happened was that, that um, uh, they they repented, they cried out to God, and God said to Moses, make a bronze snake that high on a pole, that anyone who gazes, who's, uh, who's bitten by a snake and gazes at this bronze snake will live, they'll be healed. And it was a real practical solution, God-given solution to a problem they had. So they didn't have, so, I mean, really practical, so let's say you, you, know, you set up a temple. <clears throat> And you, you put the hand in a box, there's a snake in it, for example. It bites you. Instead of running to find someone to, for healing, or running in to touch this pole, all they had to do was look at this pole, which was, which was high up and centrally placed, so everyone could see it. All they had to do was look and gaze with faith at this bronze snake, and they were healed. Well, this bronze snake had finally run its course. You know, it fulfilled the purpose that God had uh, given for it. It was a simple method of to release healing that God had chosen. And King Hezekiah, <clears throat> when he became king, said this: he began to tear down the high places, destroy the high places, the altars. Um, the standing stones, the Asherah poles he broke up. And he said he broke up into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made because the Israelites had begun to burn incense to it. You know what they had done? The very, the very instrument through which, the very instrument through which God had chosen to release healing to Israelites was now being used as an object of worship. That's why we have to be careful of models. But, but I really believe God does in times and seasons for people for a purpose for, for a period of time gives models to help the church and I believe healing streets is a model it's, it's, um, it has become a move of God that has travelled all, all over the world for the last 10 years we have not pushed the door people have invited us God told us very clearly not to push any doors, that God was going to take me by the hand and lead me. He was going to open the doors. 
And now I had to go with them through these doors. And so for the last 10 years, I haven't, you know, sent a letter out, an email out, advertised, come and invite me. Just God has done this. And for the last 10 years, I'm traveling around the world, continue to travel. Next week I'm in Denmark. I'm in America. And I'll be in Brazil. I'm traveling, it's gone, it's traveling all over the world. It's a move of God. It's having a grassroots level, which is really exciting. It's ordinary believers stepping out of the building. Um, the presence of God is so important for us. When you know, the Bible says um, that God met with Moses face to face, like a man would meet with a friend. And he knew the presence of God. And Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with us? And what will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And I ask this question to every, everywhere I go, I ask this question to, to, to follow us of Jesus. What is it that marks you out? What is it that distinguishes you from any other group of people of, of another faith, of another religion? What is it that marks you out? What is it that distinguishes you that says you belong to God? That you are the children of God? What is it that marks you out? And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, God said this, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And that is a promise for us today, that the presence of God, that we are a people of God's presence, that you are carriers of divine presence. And that if you, be, if you would begin to have the, the understanding of what it is, you carry who it is that lives in you. So, God, God has created us in his image. And God is threefold in nature. Alright, so we don't have time to go into too much detail, but we know God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's created us spirit, soul, and body. Thessalonians talks about don't have time to develop this even more. But we are tripartite in nature, even in the way that God has created us, spirit, soul, and body. And Paul says this to even you know, reinforce this idea. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And the temple consists of the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place. And the most holy place was the place where the Ark of the Covenant rested. And the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was the instrument through which God manifested his presence on the earth. Wherever the Israelites went, the Ark went before them, carried by the Levite priests, who carried the Ark on a pole on their shoulders. So the presence of God would go with the Israelites wherever they went. And the resting place of the ark was in the temple, in the most holy place, the holy of holies. And Paul says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So Paul likens our body to the temple, and, and so our, this physical part of our body, the flesh here, is the outer court. And that interfaces with this world. So all my sensory perception is alive to this world. The ground is solid beneath my feet. I can smell, I can hear, I can see, I can taste. Without this body, I would not be able to engage in this, in this physical world. That's why um, Jesus spent quite a bit 
bit of his ministry driving out demons, unclean spirits, evil spirits from people. A demon, as I'm sure you know, is a fallen angel. And angels are ministering spirits. I mean, God's holy angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation. You have angels. I don't have time to talk about angels. We don't worship angels, of course. But you need to be aware that there are angels here in this, in this building right now. I have, I have seen my angels. For three days in a row, I woke up to my room being full of God's presence and angels sing a chorus of angels singing in the room last year. Um, it's, this is a reality. Um, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to we'll have a break now because it's, it's half past, and we're going to continue afterwards. Okay? Because it's there's some, there's some teaching I want to bring, and I don't want to break into it. We're getting right into it now, so I will continue this teaching afterwards. Okay? Is that right? We're going to have a break. I can say five. Five minute break or so, is that okay?